Hello and welcome to Snack Size History, where we take the bland and try and make it brilliant. Now, history is such an important theme that shapes every part of our lives, and I, for one, think it's a massive shame that the way it's taught, perceived, and received by people is in a way to make it seem, you know, boring and irrelevant. When, if you're a history buff like me, you think the complete opposite. So, to start off this podcast on what is hopefully a strong note, today I'm going to talk about one of my favourite areas of history, which is the Bronze Age. Specifically, this podcast is going to focus on the ancient city of Mycenae. My overall intention is to establish the significance and importance of Mycenae and how its collapse can teach us a few valuable lessons in humility. So sit down, get yourself a drink and get ready for a short introduction to late Bronze Age Greece. Sometime around the year 1177 BC, which is well over 3000 years ago, the Greek city called Mycenae was destroyed. While on its own, that probably doesn't ring any bells. If we look at the myths surrounding Mycenae and Greek myths of the later classical period, it might help us understand how Mycenae was seen and why this destruction was significant. If we take the uh, the epic Greek poem, the Iliad, as any evidence, Mycenae had a king called Agamemnon who wasn't really a nice man at all, but I'll get into that in a bit. And this king, Agamemnon, led a fleet of a thousand ships to the siege of Troy, which I think most people will have heard of. And the reason why he did this was to rescue or re-kidnap, if you like, his brother's wife, who's now known to history as Helen of Troy. To cut a long and pretty boring story short, after ten years of violence, waiting and squabbling, Agamemnon was successful and Troy fell. Thankfully, his success was short-lived, because when he returned home to Mycenae, he was murdered with an axe in his bath by his wife, Clytemnestra. Any you know, fans of Greek mythology, or perhaps any parent or any hero with some common decency, would, if not agree with, definitely understand the motive of Clytemnestra to kill her husband. And the reason why she did it was because when the Greek fleet is set out to Troy, Agamemnon did what any sensible and rational king would do, and he sacrificed his daughter, Iphigenia, to restore wind to the ocean, because if he didn't do that, how could he sail? And like I said, Agamemnon was a nasty piece of work. He took sex slaves at Troy, including the Trojan princess Cassandra, who also met a grisly end at the hands of Clytemnestra. And again, if the Iliad's anything to go by, he was seen as a weak and laughable figure by his warlords like the famous Achilles or Odysseus. And they saw him as a really weak and petty man, which I think he probably was if he was real. One thing I think that we can establish, though, is that despite him being personally a weak man and a laughable figure, he did hold quite a lot of power. Obviously, under his leadership, at least if we can believe what the Iliad says, the Greeks had sat Troy and they returned home as conquering heroes, but obviously not to a hero's welcome. Modern dates for the Trojan War, if it actually happened, are by no means set in stone or agreed on, but a common recognised date for the destruction of the city is give or take 1180 BC. Now, when looking at this date, this kind of raises the question of how was Mycenae under Agamemnon able to lead a coalition of Greeks of allegedly a thousand ships to victory in a foreign land far from home, or relatively far from home, and then fall literally about three years later on, if we're generous, less than a decade? Personally, I think it's a very good question, which is why I'm discussing it now, obviously. And if we look at these often forgotten aspects of history, it helps us not only understand ourselves in the thought process, but it's a nice little reality check. We shouldn't be hubristic like Agamemnon was. We should be humble. Now, Mycenae was by far and away the major power in Bronze Age Greece. As evidence of this, Bronze Age Greece is generally or otherwise known as Mycenaean Greece because Mycenae in the city itself sums up the nature of Greece at the time. 
Greece, as we know it today, is one solid homogenous country. But 3,000 years ago, it was a little bit different to that. Each city was something known as a city-state or a palace society because there were large, big cities, massive palaces where kings like Agamemnon, if he was real, would have lived. Now, these cities controlled other smaller bits of farmland nearby and they didn't have as big as populations as cities of our modern times do. But a good way to think of it would be, say, if we took the city of London, for example, that might have been its own city-state if it were a Mycenaean state. You know, the Queen of England wouldn't have been the Queen of England, she'd have been the Queen of London. Now, the site itself, just digressing, you know, does justify why it held the reputation it had. You know, we've got to bear in mind that it's hard to judge things through the internet and books, and I really would love to go and see it myself, but the pandemic, you know, the ongoing situation has made it a little bit difficult. So I've made do with Google Earth to have a bit of a look around the site, get a feel for the area. And that makes me more excited to hopefully visit one day. In around 1350 BC, the city had a population of give or take 30,000 people. It's, it's hard to estimate when it's 3,000 years ago. Today, a city of 30,000 people wouldn't really exist. We wouldn't call that a city. We'd call that a large town. However, 3,000 years ago, that was a massive city, a really big population centre that should be sniffed at. In a society where there was no central healthcare system like what you've got now, infant mortality was sadly very common, life expectancies were short, and death was just a much more frequent occurrence. A city of 30,000 people is pretty substantial. These 30,000 people who lived in the city were not just, you know, peasants or plebs, however you want to look at them, but these were talented professionals, much like our own cities are. Speaking of our own cities, places like London have massive shopping centres, restaurants, public monuments, they're big important places, and Mycenae, in its day, was like that as well. There were pottery makers, potters in the city, and they produced ornate, finely decorated pottery that's been far afield in places like Egypt, Cyprus, even parts might have been found in Afghanistan, if the reports can be believed, which speaks to the massive trade network and power of this one city. So to send bits of pots and to trade across the world, that's pretty cool, I think, at the very least. There have also been lots of exquisite treasures that have been discovered in lots of the tombs in Mycenae. This is gold and jewellery encrusted with diamonds and gems. And these kind of things, when you look at them, they're not the kind of things you'd think would be out of place in an Egyptian museum because they're that lavish and ornately decorated and they're such fine piece of craftsmanship. Now, speaking of Egypt, we do have relatively good reason to believe that the king of Mycenae may even have been on first name basis with the pharaohs. To jump back to the Iliad for a second, the poet who wrote it, allegedly, Homer, never actually uses the word Greek to describe his subject because 3,000 years ago, there was no kind of Greek identity as we think of it today. Instead, to describe the people of Greece, he uses different terms, and these are generally Danaeans, Argives, and Achaeans. Now, it just so happens that there have been letters found in the ruins of various Mediterranean sites that were written to people with uncannily similar names to the Danaeans, Argives, and Achaeans. In Egyptian letters, contact with the Danaea probably the Danaeans, is mentioned as early as 1437 BC. And interestingly, the city of Mycenae is mentioned in some of these letters. Now, knowledge is one thing on its own, but evidence of this contact, practical physical evidence, is a totally different kettle of fish. Luckily, the amounts of Mycenaean pottery that have been found in Egypt does suggest that there were strong trade links between Mycenae and Egypt. The Mycenaeans had important neighbours closer to home as well. In the Bronze Age, Turkey was home to one of the superpowers of the day, the Hittite Empire, 
Now, the Hittites never get a mention in the history books, which I think is a massive shame because they were easily significant as the Egyptians. The Egyptians and the Hittites were rivals and they went to war on several occasions. And at some point, I definitely want to cover them in an upcoming episode, so do keep your ears open. But back to the subject at hand. Lots of letters were found in the Hittite capital of Hattusha. The Hittites kept archives that make the British Library blush. And these libraries contain literal stacks and stacks of letters on clay tablets, written between Hittite kings and the kings of a place called Ahiawa, which is generally held to mean Achaea, which would be Greece. Now, with Mycenae being the foremost city in Greece, I don't think it's a massive stretch to suggest that the kings of Mycenae were in contact with the Hittite kings. In some letters, they even address each other as brothers, calling each other my brother the great king, which really is just the sweetest, isn't it? But it wasn't just sweet, though. It's this diplomatic code used in kings of the ancient world to address another king as equal power. The Hittites were an equal power with the Mycenaeans, as were the Egyptians. So it's one of the big powers of the Bronze Age, which is why it's so important to look at. Now, up to this point, if you're still with me, we've established several things about Mycenae. They're important friends around the Mediterranean. They had a strong economy based on great artistic skill and they were remembered as warriors by later Greeks like Homer. And to look at the site of Mycenae, you can see why. I don't want to talk too much about all the specifics of the site, but it looks less of a city and more like a castle, and in reality, it was a sort of combination of both. Now, Mycenae itself was surrounded by a massive set of walls that are known to us as Cyclopean walls. Now, they're called this because it was a Greek travel writer called Pausanias, and he thought that the individual blocks of stone that made the walls were so big and impressive that the only thing that could have built them, logically, was a cyclops. They weren't, obviously, but the phrase definitely does the walls justice. In some sections of the perimeter, the walls are over 8 metres thick, which, for the time, 3,000 years ago, think how much manpower and labour and resources must have gone into that. We think of the effort used to build the pyramids. When you're looking at cities like Mycenae, that's got to be up there with it. Now, looking at the construction of the walls, there were three main phases they were constructed in. The first phase is around 1350 BC, and this makes them roughly contemporaneous with the Egyptian letters mentioning Mycenae. Now, this set of walls that was built then was a massive set of walls around the entire city. And this included military buildings, temples, and palaces within the city itself. Now, the second phase of construction has been dated to roughly 100 years later in 1250 BC and this phase of the construction of the walls involved a large extension being built to the south and this new southern extension of the walls included a large stretch of walls to include the grave complexes and artistic buildings of the city and the final set of additions was only made around the year 1200 BC and this involved the creation of something that's been called by historians the northeastern extension. This northeastern extension was built to secure a huge underground system that could store well over 6,000 litres of water and had two things called sally ports. These were small fortified doorways, if you like, where defenders of the city could sneak out and attack and raid attackers. Now, this building of walls can be interpreted in two main ways. It could either be seen as a large display of power and status to the neighbours of Mycenae, or instead as a programme of defensive construction motivated by fear. Now, when it comes to this one, I'm definitely on team fear. The fact that the city was burned to the ground a generation later, in my mind, suggests that the building projects were built because of fear, not bragging to their neighbours. They were probably scared of them. 
So for its time, Mycenae was clearly at the top of the food chain. The historical reality of the Trojan War is a cold, different kind of worms to be opened another day. But even if not a word of it's true, then there is certainly grains of truth that inspired its invention. And I think that this truth is that the Mycenaeans were known for their military skills. Now why else would a whole host of poems be written to describe the military skills of the society that had no grain of truth behind it? The whole point of this discussion about Mycenae is to bring to light a far too often forgotten period of history. Now, just to stand on my soapbox and grandstand for a little moment, the Bronze Age, and well, I think ancient history in general, really never seems to get the attention it deserves. The discussion of what in particular caused Mycenae's destruction, or the rest of the Bronze Age world, is far too broad to talk about now, although hopefully it will be revisited. But I do think it's important that we ask as historians, as people, how a society that was almost as sophisticated as our own could fall from such dazzling heights. Now, obviously, the fall of Rome is more well-known, and the destruction of the Aztecs and the Inca is far more infamous, but the collapse of Mycenae and Mycenaean Greece is, I don't think, any less significant. Greece took hundreds of years to bounce back after the collapse of Mycenae. Writing vanished for hundreds of years, cities themselves almost vanished, and if an examination of the cemeteries of Greece is anything to go by, the overall population sharply decreased. While the Mycenaean world would have been an almost alien place to our own, the dark age that followed its collapse was certainly a far worse place to live in. I never thought I'd say this, but I'll thank my lucky stars for 2021. So, thank you very much for listening to Snack Science History and for listening to the little discussion and examination of Mycenae. I hope this has inspired a bit of interest, because I think it's a fascinating subject. If not, if you made it this far, thanks for listening. It's very much appreciated. Now, I'm not sure what the regular format of this is going to be or how I'm exactly going to do it. If anything, I'm just rambling about things that I find interesting and trying to, if I can, see if I can make them more interesting to people. So, thanks for your time and hopefully I'll come back with something interesting to talk to. Thank you very much for listening and I'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.